Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Bryce, I do need some advice. Mm-hmm. Not for me, of course. It's for a friend. <laughs> it's a friend. He's white. <laughs> and the other night he was thinking about the possibility of having a daughter. Mm. And what if he named that daughter Erzuli? Maybe just a middle name. Mm. But would that be... Offensive? Cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. Or is naming your child after musical actually the most white thing you could do so it doesn't really matter? <laughs> I think there's a fine line. I feel like that's somewhere in the middle. It just depends on how you approach it. For me, it's all about intentions. Fair enough. You know what I mean? Fair enough. And Absolutely. And the intention behind that would be like, oh, I mean, personally, I'm not planning to have kids. Oh, yeah. But like... Now, I have a cat allergy. However, I love cats. So at yes. some point, I'm going to just <gasps> what you know, if make you it happen. What if you have a cat named Papa Gay? But do you see what I'm saying? Like, that would be cute. Like, that I, would be I could, good. I'm going to have, you know, cat names probably of, you know, characters that mean a lot to me. This and is smart. This I'm, is smart. I'm a nerd across the board. So not just musicals, but also literature as well. Like, I love, you know, sci-fi, fantasy. And so, th- I mean, I have so many options of, like, nerdy names to you, give my pets. It's just my what alley you, d- you decide to go down. Yeah. I definitely am all for you're gonna need a lot of animals i probably will have them and then i'll have so many allergy meds to take (laughs) you have a a reptile named elfie or maybe the reptile should be glinda let's be honest okay yeah mix it up let's let's turn it around (laughs) actually if anybody out there has a pet that's named after a musical theater character i want to see that send it to us add us because now i'm really fascinated yeah and if you are named after a musical theater character like god bless those parents i want to see a picture of those parents Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. This week, we're talking once on this island with Bryce Charles. Hello. Everybody say hi, Bryce. Uh, So grateful you're here. So happy to be here. This episode will be coming out the last of Black History Month, but I Mm -hmm. wanted to be sure to have some representation this month. Yes, amazing. For many reasons. I feel like black artists have given me so much in my life mm. as a white farm boy. Like <laughs> like truly uh, in many ways I feel like black artists taught me how to feel. Mm. So I'm super grateful to be talking about this show that 
is so much about heart and yes. feeling and love. And oh I'm grateful goodness. you're here to do it. Mm. When did you first get to know Once on this Island? I w- have been aware of LaShawn's. And so for a, for a while, Quan Lashans, and you know, so <laughs> like how how can you not how can you not know um, her and her voice? People often talk about performers who light up the screen, mm. you know, and Lashans that smile oh lights up a yes. theater. Yes, 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 yes. Like yes, forget yes. about the screen. Oh. All she does is flash those teeth, man, and you feel it in the back row of the theater. It's, and then and then she just has this voice that just, I mean, she would open her mouth, just drop her jaw, and just this wall of sound. You know what I mean? I was just like mesmerized that people could just like do that. And so because of that, I think I kind of had some sort of knowledge of Once on the Island maybe in high school, but hadn't really like, you know, done the full dive, the full proper dive into it. And then in college, they did it. They did the show, and um, I had auditioned. And I was essentially an onstage swing. Basically, I covered Asaka, which if anyone knows me vocally, that is not my, it's not, it's vocally not my jam. It's just not where you live. It's not where my voice lives, Lord have mercy. But um, <laughs> I never had to, never had to go on. It was mainly for like rehearsal purposes, but I covered Asaka, covered Urzuli, which felt a little. Yeah, that's your, that, that's your game, right? Yeah, I was like this, all right, I can live here. Um, and then I also kind of covered um, Timun a bit as well, like in, in the rehearsal process. And then I was in the ensemble, a part of the village, and that was I have fond memories of the show. Just such fond memories being in it. I would love to do it again. There's such a community to the show that I I feel like it could be a really beautiful bonding experience to Mm -hmm. be a part of. Mm -hmm. One of the main parts of the story of how Once on this Island came about is Rosa Guy. Mm -hmm. And she is one of the personalities or one of the people that I wanted to focus on, Mm -hmm. particularly as we're celebrating Black History Month. She was a writer who wrote a novel called My Love, My Love, or The Peasant Girl, and that's mm. what Once on this Island was based on. Right. She was born in Trinidad, mm. and, like immigrated to New York very, very young with her family, and then was quickly orphaned. Mm. As a young woman, like she was 19, she joined uh, the American Negro Theater. And then as she became a writer, she was one of the founders of the Harlem Writers Guild, oh. which their whole purpose was to support black writers Mm -hmm. and getting them published. And Maya Angelou was on the board, Ruby Dee, like all of these legendary people were a part of this organization that was actually very, proved to be very effective. As her career continued, she started writing more for youth, Mm -hmm. which I think is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that's where My Love, My Love came from, which is a Caribbean spin on Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Mermaid. Yes. And so she wrote this novel, and then it was picked up by the musical theater writing team, Stephen Flaherty and Lynn Ahrens. Mm-hmm. I believe we are both big fans of this yes. composing team. Yes, what a duo. <laughs> <clears throat> they're, they're some of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Lynn Ahrens and Stephen Flaherty met at the BMI workshop, like musical theater workshop, which pretty much every musical theater writing team that became popular after 1980, they met there. (laughs) Okay, got it. And so they met, they started writing together. Lynn Ahrens, I didn't realize, started as a composer and lyricist. Mm -hmm. She worked on Schoolhouse Rock. 
Oh. So if you know the preamble yeah. or um, Inner Planet Janet, like any of those no songs, kidding. she did those for Schoolhouse Rock. Wow, so I grew up with them even further back in my childhood than <laughs> I realized. <laughs> and then she uh, gets together with Stephen Flaherty, who uh, was a composer, and she became lyricist. And they started writing shows, some of which came to fruition, some didn't. But Once on this Island was their first musical that hit Broadway. Mm. It started out at Playwright Horizons. It's amazing how important these different organizations are that give opportunities for young, you know, unknown artists to uh-huh. be to be seen and heard. Mm-hmm. Playwrights Horizons is one of them. It's produced there and then quickly moves to Broadway. And it opened on Broadway in 1990, ran for about a year. And That's it? Uh-huh. Really? Wow, that feels really short. We'll talk about the season that surrounded it. Mm. It was a big season, and okay. it kind of got swallowed, swallowed up by everybody. Mm. But uh, it's had staying power. Yes. And definitely. I also think that it was really well-beloved, mm-hmm. even if the ticket sales may not have shown that as enthusiastically. Mm-hmm. It was directed by Graciela Danielle mm. and choreographed by her as well. She's another person who I think a lot of people don't know about, even in the musical theater world. I honestly didn't. She later choreographed Ragtime. She is an incredibly creative woman. Mm, Clearly. (laughs) Yeah. And everybody who works with her has said what a generous and creative person she is, taking time in rehearsals to just figure out how your character moves and why they would do one gesture or the other. And uh, and that kind of generosity just creates these really magical experiences for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. She she may be kind of an unsung hero, I think, in I, in modern musical theater. Definitely. Anyway, so uh, so that's kind of how the musical came to fruition. Mm. But the real heart of it is the story itself. Hey, listeners, you want to hear something really cool? The theater department from my old high school reached out to me and asked if they could sponsor an episode of the podcast. It's kind of the sweetest thing ever, especially since when I was in high school, I spent most of the time in the choral department. But under the direction of my pals Melanie Day and Jenna Barber, the Box Elder High School Theater Department has grown into one of the biggest assets of the school and the region as well. I've worked with the kids before, and oh my heck, they're great. A little Utah humor for you. They're willing to work hard and fully invest, and I'm so very happy to spend a little time this episode giving them some love. If you want to check out what they're up to, visit their Instagram at BEHS Theater. That's BEHS Theater with an R E. Duh, is there any other way to spell it? And I also want to take a moment to talk to the students specifically. Listen up, guys. Many moons ago, I was where you are right now, and honestly, I couldn't wait to get out. High school is weird that way. But I know that this theater department cares about you, so I strongly encourage you to let that love in and then take that with you no matter where you end up. Because that's the beautiful thing about theater. We're connected for a moment and then somehow forever. What I love about this show, the approach that they took with this show, mm-hmm. is that it gets, like, right back to the basics of storytelling. Mm-hmm. It starts traditionally with the storm and a young child crying because they're afraid. Mm-hmm. And the community comes together and begins to tell 
the child a story. Mm, it's so sweet. It's so endearing, and it kind of it pulls you right in. Right? Yeah. And Lynn Ahrens, who also wrote the, the script, the book, along with the lyrics, did such a musical job of creating this dialogue mm. that, like, even now as I'm thinking of how to tell the story, I just want to go straight to the dialogue. Uh-huh. There is an island yeah. where rivers run deep. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's so poetic and beautiful, and I don't know how much of it comes actually from Rosa Guy's source material. Oh, right. But, but it's so evocative and paints such a beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. It does. We get to know this island that is in the Antilles. Mm-hmm. And it's called the Jewel of the Antilles, right? And on this island are two groups of people. You have the peasants Mm. whose skin is very dark. Mm -hmm. And then you have the bosoms Mm -hmm. who are kind of like a a mixed mixed European Mm -hmm. race. And they don't get along because one is very rich and uppity and has very European ways and the other does not. Mm -hmm. And the peasants... Pray to the gods. There's Asaka. So we got Asaka, who is mother, mother, mother of, earth, of the earth, right? Um, there's Agwe. Oh, the Agwe, right? God of water. Um, Papage, who who's we know is our sly demon yeah. of death. And then Erzuli. And Erzuli, who's mo- goddess of love. Goddess of love. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And we see kind of the humility of this peasant population, mm-hmm. and from that begins the opening number. Mm-hmm. Now, Aaron's and Flaherty, in my opinion, write the best opening numbers in musical theater. Every one of their shows has an amazing opening number. Yeah, and this one in particular always gives me chills mm-hmm. when I listen to it. The The music, for one, makes me so happy. The rhythm of it, the, the way that they, they wrote it, it just feels like a celebration. It feels like Joyous. it feels like joy. It feels like community. There's something so magical about the music throughout this show. On my way here I was listening to it just to, you know, get in the vibe, yeah, in the vibe and everything. And I was just I kind of sat back and was like, God, I love this show. Mm-hmm. I love the music. And you're right with the storytelling the the book is so is so musical in itself and i always thought of it all as as one one thing yeah, yeah. it might as well you know feel it might as well be an opera in that sense you yeah. know what i mean it just everything moves with music everything um comes from music and that is so cultural as well mm. they love each other they love the earth around them and they praise these beings for giving them you know, the ability to be on that earth and with each other. And that it is the heartbeat throughout the show. And even when it's slowed down for the ballads, there's you just you still can feel that like spiritual connection to the music. And intention. Mm-hmm. You know, we you know from the get go that everybody is a part of this for the right reason. Mm-hmm. Why do you think being wealthy disrupts that so traditionally? <laughs> because it's a distraction. The people who essentially have nothing comparatively to, you know, these wealthy people on the other side of the island. They have no choice but to look around and appreciate the little things. The air in their lungs in that moment is something that they do not take for granted. And they will thank the gods for that, Mm. you know. And money and wealth, that becomes a person's new deity. Yeah. It it becomes that new focus. Isn't it interesting that we've kind of created this racket where we want to create an easy life for our children mm-hmm. or for those we love? Mm-hmm. But what this show teaches us is that in reality, the greatest thing that we can give our kids are our stories. Mm-hmm. 
and our love. Love, care, attention, compassion. Community. and mm-hmm, A sense of community. Okay, so, th- so they do the opening number. <laughs> we, we meet everybody. And then there's a couple in the village. And in the story, after a storm, they find a little girl in a tree, mm-hmm. a little orphaned girl. And nobody knows who she is or how she got there. And they decide to take her in. They decide to adopt her, which when I think of the writer, Rosa Guy. And I love those lines that say, we have nothing and yet our lives are more full than ever. Mm -hmm. I love in the show that the gods, they're very temperamental is how Uh how the villagers talk about them. Mm -hmm. There's kind of a sense of humor that they have. Uh, Hoo-hoo, let's see. They're meddlesome. Yeah, let's see what we can do now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think that that can be found in... Earlier forms in, in of, earlier of religion, forms of religion and, everywhere. Yeah, of religion, even, tradition, culture. Even Old Testament, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> he, he tends to be kind of a jealous, angry God. Mm-hmm. And we see how the gods kind of organize opportunities to make choices. Mm-hmm. But when we use those opportunities to be better, to do better, mm-hmm. the gods respond. Mm-hmm. And in a way, their evolution continues as well. Right. Uh, okay, so they name her Timun, which it means a little orphan, I believe, right? That's her nickname. She has a oh, long. Yeah. She her, is a her like proper name is Desiree, right? Mm-hmm. Desiree, Desiree French something. Yeah, I was gonna say Desiree something or other. But um, then they're like, and mm, then Timun. <laughs> we'll just call you Timun. <laughs> yeah, you still, no matter what, you still a little orphan girl we found in the tree, and we love you. Yes, so. exactly. <laughs> And then Timun uh, grows mm-hmm. into Lashans, and <laughs> <laughs> although I gotta, I, we gotta do a shout out to Haley Kilgore. I will say, and then eventually grows into Haley Kilgore <laughs> because that girl can sing. She can. Then Timun sings "Waiting for Life." Mm. Now, this song has some really interesting memories for me because in college we had group vocal class, which is torture. I mean, it's it's just legalized torture. It was a voice lesson, but as a class. And so you would sit and watch mm. people yeah. be torn to bits. They'd pick one song for everybody to work on, one song for all the girls to work on, one song for all the guys to work yeah, on. Yeah, that sounds familiar for me yeah. too. And they picked Waiting for Life Ooh, for the girls to for to learn how cruel. to belt. Oh my, oh my gosh. Because <laughs> initially at school, I... I Audition for T-Moon. Oh, cool. So initially they asked us to sing it in the original key, which all of us, even the girls who could do it, were like, Phew. <laughs> okay, I'm, here we go. I'm out. But that key change is, uh, that's that's a we tricky, oh no. yeah, that's a tricky spot because you're holding that out. And on that vowel too, like, my goodness, it's not as simple as it may seem. And then I'm sure people are going to be listening to this like, <laughs> like, You're like check out my me. YouTube video, girl. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, good for you. That is great. But that is not everyone's testimony. It's mm-hmm. not mine. Mm-hmm. And I can't like to imagine doing T-Moon eight times a week. Wow. Well, and I got to be honest, like let, I'm going to call out my white brothers and sisters and say that this is probably something that a lot of us take for granted that we just assume that all black girls can sing this song can just yeah wail and i'm not so a whaler at I'm all i'm grateful so, um, for you being like representation <laughs> let's let's be real here I'm representing the, <laughs> represent the, those the black people the black who are like, yeah who are like queen audra truly truly audra audra's very existence for me is is also another reason why I've been able to grow up with so much hope because I've mm-hmm. known who Audrey McDonald was for a very long time. You know, she she did pave the way for like the the black ingenue and like mainstream musical theater, which I mean is a huge feat. It's it's incredible. It's inspiring. 
I mean, yeah, I, in some ways, I feel like I kind of model my musical theater career, what I want my musical theater career to be um, after her, even. Because, like, like, I can get my way through the song now, um, but, again, it's not the right colors for, like, what people, one, are expecting, mm-hmm. knowing the show. Right. Um, and, and, two, what they might want from that style. I like Based I, on people's expectations. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, in a cabaret setting, I would love to just, like, try it and just have fun with it and do it my way because that would be me expressing, like, my journey with my voice and, and my career, that kind of thing. But I know, I you know, those are just things that you just you just know. I know that, like, going into a room— like back, especially back when they were like auditioning, like for the tour and stuff. I was like, I'm probably not going to be able to get in there. Mm. But Andrea, oh right. Now Andrea is my track. Mm. <laughs> Andrea is my track. That's uh, we'll meet her pretty soon. We will. Um, and actually, I really like what they did with her in the revival. Love, 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 love. Yeah, everything about it. Okay, did you see the revival? Twice. <gasps> so I saw it earlier. I saw it with the full original cast, which, I mean, what a blessing that was. And then I saw it once. Um, I saw it after Leia Salonga left. And um, Haley had just, uh, I think, like, done something to her ankle or something like that. Oh, no. Um, and so she was out for a couple weeks. So I saw her understudy. But for me, it was I like seeing alternative versions of things, things like that, to see how they play and how people respond to them. Yeah. Because when I tell you, like, it took nothing away from, you know what I mean? Mm, that's you know, so important to hear. That That is. And that was important for me because, and I honestly, I wish I could remember her name. I feel so bad that I can't. But um, she, yeah, I thought she was, she was stunning, and I really appreciated seeing that. After Waiting for Life... Uh, which we were talking about the song. We didn't even say what the song's about. It's it's such a great I want song, right? It is. She's saying, gods, you put me in a tree. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I came from, but can I have a say in where I'm going? And if we're going to talk about, you know, the parallels between this and Little Mermaid and, you know, because the root of the stories are the same and it was based off of that story. So this and part of your world, you know what I mean? Like For sure. But waiting for life for me, what I love about it is it's it feels a little more active. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because she's she's actually talking back to the gods and she's actually like demanding, you know, for something to happen, anything. Like give me give me something. You wash mm-hmm. me up on this island and you know, you put me in these circumstances, but I am you know, she's like bursting for life, for anything. She's so exuberant in that way. And isn't it cool that she also isn't expecting the gods to to do the work for her. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm ready to do the work. Just let me. Let me live. Just show me yeah. what I will. Uh-huh. I should do and I will do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And once again, they respond. And the gods heard her prayer. Yes. <laughs> yes, they did. Yes, they did. <clears throat> and this always made me giggle because this is when they're this is with the, the whole mango situation. Right. And this <laughs> where the uh, is it Osaka who's like, she's crazy. Yeah. And, and what I also like about this little sort of interlude as well is it shows all of the gods individual personalities all the personalities it the shows, council it, exactly and yeah. it shows you know each of them they take the mango and they say like Papa Gay is like a poison mango and Erzli mm-hmm. is a lovely mango and um, then you know they drop the mango and knock some sense in her head and then all of a sudden it's like but wait but what if we give her what she wants yeah let's let's shake it up a little bit let's actually like see what happens if you know she asks for this thing and we give it to her what will she make the most of it mm-hmm it is interesting in a Little Mermaid sort of way because Waiting for Life comes out of the fact that she sees a stranger in white in a car, mm-hmm. right? 
And who, sorry, I just heard her singing it. I just heard the shot singing it in my head, and I like my it took my breath away. Sorry, oh, I love that so I legitimately much. just. <laughs> so uh, it comes out of that, but it isn't like I'm so poor and I want to go live in a rich house. Right? No, there's just there's something calling her uh-huh. to this in the way that she's Ariel for something. She's yearning for more. In the way that Ariel's like, it's not that I hate being a fish mm-hmm. or that I hate my family. I just feel like there's something up there out of this water mm-hmm. that I got to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And so, in order for this to happen, in order for her to cross over from her villager life into this stranger in white in a car, something's got to happen, and that's when the gods intervene. Mm-hmm. And they do so by, uh, first of all, Agwe. Agwe. Ag- what a great song. And this Ugh. transition from And the Gods Heard Her Prayer into Rain is just, uh, it's, it's so good. Now, that is, that's a voice, too. I love, yes. I love Agwe's because that's another color mm-hmm. that we don't always get to see in these types of musicals. Mm-hmm. Just a big, baritone gorgeous voice. Right? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So Agwe makes it rain, but, like, rain. Yeah. Full-on, <laughs> full-on <laughs> To make can we, sure— well, Can we yeah, talk about the—can we jump to the revival, or do you, you want to save that no, for later? No, please, please go. Okay, so, I mean, I was shook to my actual core, because <laughs> I went into the show with um, the purest mind. Like, revivals are, are such a weird thing for me, because— especially with a show that I really love and have such a, like, strong, passionate connection to. Because I was like, you know, I know that they changed the orchestration and everything was so, it was in the round and it was immersive. And for me, I was like, this is so ambitious. Like, how is this going to change the heart of the show? And it just enhanced everything I already loved about the musical. Mm. And in the first moment when I sat down, I was like, like, before the show even started, because the show actually has already begun. Let me correct myself. Oh, really? When you sit down, they're already sort of, like, just in the space and living, just living in the space. And I sat down and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to love this. And then everything washed away and I was just there with an open mind. And by the time we got to rain, I mean, it's raining. They have water coming down. Yes, they have. Michael Arden. It's like. So good. it's, It's incredible. It's incredible because it really does hit all of your senses. I mean, even on the side in the beginning, um, before Alex Newell transitions into being Asaka, you know what I mean? Because right. because they're all a part of Leia Salonga as the doctor, and, you know, she— They were all part of the community before all assuming part of, parts exactly. of the story. And to see them transition into—and just sort of, like, morph into the gods, it's so amazing to see. But on the side, before that happens, Alex Newell's just cooking. Oh, how cute. Just cooking food, and you can, like, smell, like, the spices and things like that. And then there's also, like, live animals and sand, and then when the water comes down— I'm sorry, there were live animals? There's a goat. There's a chicken. I I can't— I cannot. (laughs) There were so many things that just— I love animals so much. So you're smelling food, and you're smelling animals, and you see the sand. They're all—you know, they're barefoot, and so they're just so a part of the space. Mm. Um, And then when the rain comes down at the various, you know, like, storm moments of the show— you sort of can kind of feel that depending on where you're sitting. The coolness of uh, yeah, the water. It, and... It's just, it is fascinating just how sensory the show became and wow. how fully immersed um, everyone becomes. Like, I felt like I was part of the village. And because of the change in the orchestration, because it became more minimal and because a lot of things were divvied up um, amongst the voices, mm-hmm. I mean, you just kind of, you feel the music a little bit more. It doesn't feel like a distant thing or like some separate 
proscenium type experience. Exactly. It's just, it's all around you and you you really feel like you're in this village and they're just sort of playing music and you're just vibing with them. I mean, I remember sitting in my seat and I I went both times with my mom and we were just dancing. (laughs) That's so beautiful. It was was so amazing. And so, yeah, rain for me. I was excited about that because vocally, like just hearing that kind of booming sound. Also, there's a full spectrum of vocal um, quality and like style throughout the show, I feel, mm-hmm. because Agwe, when singing Rain, it feels very classical. Yeah. And that's exciting. That was exciting for me to see that they sort of they kept that vibe. It, it didn't feel like some sort of American Idol type. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you just never know because. Yeah, <laughs> you never do. Broadway True. can can be a sing off sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I was just so just enamored with the the vocal choices throughout the show, even with Tonton Julian and Mama Yurley, um, you know, when they're... The, the parents of The Timon. parents, yes, Timon's parents. They had a very classical approach to the music, in a sense, but then they were just up there telling the story. Mm. They were up there telling the story, and vocally what came out um, enhanced that. It, it lended itself to telling the story. Agwe makes it rain. <laughs> so then, uh, what's the guy's name? Daniel. Daniel. Daniel comes driving in his white car, mm-hmm. obviously bad conditions with the weather, mm-hmm. and he drives off the road and has an accident. Yes. A bad accident that right. is about to take his life. Mm-hmm. And Timun witnesses it all because, once again, all of these things have been put into motion by the deities. So she uh, she rescues him mm-hmm. and decides that this must be... Her mission is to nurse him back to health. She was the one there to witness it and to rescue him. And now, in a way, the fulfillment of her dream, her wish. Well, yeah, she's just prayed to the gods and, you know, and sort of <laughs> demanded, like, something happen. Mm-hmm. And then something does happen. And it's, you know, not and just— And it happens to be him. Yes. And it, and it's it's not just some little thing. She doesn't just happen to pass by him. Like, he's in critical condition. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. His life is in my hands now. Now, the villagers don't respond well to her plan. Right. Because— Daniel is a bosom. Daniel is a bosom. And I guess maybe now we should talk about the tale of the bosoms, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is kind of the little history lesson Mm -hmm. that we get in the middle of the show Mm -hmm. about the wealthy side of the island. Mm -hmm. As it turns out, there's this guy named Armand, right? Armand. <laughs> and, oh, the original Armand was Jerry McIntyre. Do oh. you know who Jerry McIntyre is? Jerry Mack? I know that name. He's, he's an amazing director, choreographer, performer. He was in the original cast. And he's currently directing and choreographing a production of Once on this Island back, back in Utah. Oh, cool. And I worked with him on a project out here in L.A. a couple of years ago. And so I reached out to him to see if he would share some of his anecdotes or memories of being in the show Mm -hmm. and he sent me a voice message and so i'm going to play that now so enjoy jerry mack jerry mcintyre here the original armand well not really the original because there was i auditioned for the workshop of this before it went to Playwrights Horizons. God, I don't even know what year that was, but I auditioned for it, and I was cast as Papa Gay. But I got this huge gig. I got this huge part in this new Broadway musical that was, like, destined to run forever called Annie 2, and I was cast as Punjab. 
So I had to turn Lynn Aarons and Stephen Flaherty and Graziella Danielle down and said, no, no, I can't do this workshop of this new show that that I never heard of. Of course, no one had never heard of it. So I said, no, I'm going to go and be a huge Broadway star. And then it crashed and burned. And I came back to the city and the guy who played Armand in the workshop dropped out. So they called me and said, do you want to play Armand? And I said, yes, I'd love to. And they said, well, great. Come in tomorrow and audition. Yikes. So that happened. <laughs> and I got it. And then I did it at Playwrights Horizons. I played Armand and I did it on Broadway. And I was the dance captain in Graziella Danielle, the director where I was in me. Oh, you know what? You should do this. You should direct and choreograph. You're like, it's a natural for you. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to do this at all. I just want to sing, dance, and act. I thought that's all you really need to do. And then it opened a door for me that changed my life, changed my career. And once on this island, you know, with LaChance, who I did my first Broadway show with, who was amazing. And, you know, Jerry Dixon and Keisha, like we've all been being on stage with 10 people. And every night having prayer circle at five, it is really a, a show that the community loved. Like all the actors like would become. And I actually staged the, the 20 year anniversary of it at the Martin Beck. And it was just so amazing and joyous to see what we had done. I mean, people were crying and, and I walked down the stage door and people had the program from when it was a playwrights arrived and they said, this is a show that my, my wife and I met on. We, you know, sang human heart at the wedding. It's like, I, it's a, a life changing experience for me once on this island. Isn't that so sweet? That is so sweet. Lovely he sent that. Thank you, Jerry Mack. So he uh, he was the original Armand, mm-hmm. and so we and Armand is this European dude, right? Mm-hmm. And he, based on the orders of Napoleon, comes to this island and you know claims it for Europe, and has a beautiful white wife, but uh, likes to. Make love to the ladies who are. Heard this story of many. We we have we have many variations of this in our own history. Um, Even in uh, my family. Oh really? Yeah, I'm Louisiana Creole, like French Creole. Oh yeah. um, On my mom's side, and aesthetically, like it's very apparent. Like they're very fair, and a lot of them have like. blue eyes and like Whoa. yeah and like lighter hair even too blonde hair and it yeah it's fascinating and my mom is like you can you can see it more so in my mom than like me but even still like in high school people would be like are you mixed at all and i, and I would be confused i was like i don't think so i like i'm pretty yeah <laughs> like what what is an indication but i realized it was because like with that culture comes like you know relaxing your hair and things like that mm. and so most of the women um, my mom's side, on like the Creole side, um, relaxed their hair. And so I grew up with like relaxing my hair as well and keeping up with it too. I was just kind of like eventually I got over it. And so I think when I was like a sophomore in high school, I was like, I'm going to grow up my natural hair and just do that because that feels more me. But for the longest time, I was like, why would people think I'm mixed? Because to me, I was like, <laughs> I just look black. <laughs> and, and, and then it was because I would get my hair relaxed and they... Um, some people didn't know that it was like relaxer. They were like, is that just natural? <laughs> no, no, it's not. But that was just a part of like 
Creole Beauty background. standards. Yeah, and, yeah. And then when did you find out, like, where um, so, your ancestry? Um, our family name is Ruzon. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that and, is you're, yeah. You're ba- You basically are a bosom. <laughs> I hate to break it well, to you. Well, that's why it was always something really interesting, like this part of the of the musical, because I was like, huh. You know, like it was yeah. something that I could kind of relate to because I remember uh, being in high school and, you know, we would have like family picnics and family reunions and things like that. And we had um, T-shirts. We have T-shirts every year. And one year we had the shirt of Jean-Jacques Rouzon, who was French patriarchy of our family. Wow. So... That was always something interesting. I was like, what's the story behind Jean-Jacques Rousseau? Like, who is this dude? <laughs> and then they were like, well, he, you know, he came over. And I don't know if, I really don't know if it's a love story or if it was just, you know, the typical goings on. Yeah. But, yeah, that was, he, you know, he came over and the, the, the deed was done. The and deed then, was done and, and the babies the were line, had. Yeah, the family line was thus formed. <laughs> So uh, Armand has a son with one of the peasant women, and the son's name is Bosom, which means the beautiful one. Mm. Bosom grows up and rebels against his father, and there's this huge war that happens. Armand, the father, gets kicked out, but before he leaves, he leaves a curse on his son, and the curse is basically that you will always loathe yourself Hmm. because you will be trapped on this island because you're black. But the whiteness that's added to it will always make your heart yearn for something else. It's a very complicated position to be in, I imagine. It's a really kind of beautiful symbol for, I think, being mixed race Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out. Yeah, it's far more complicated than people realize, especially, you know, it's finding it's the identity crisis, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But then also what I think is so interesting, too, about the story is having the bosoms on one side and then having the, the peasants on the other side. And then the idea of, like, colorism within the community is mm. also something that I guess appreciate is a weird way to explain it. But it's just not something that gets <laughs> brought up in, you know, in stories. Um, like the degrees of blackness. Yeah, exactly. And just to show, to depict, like, yeah, we have issues within our own community as well. You know what I mean? Right. Like we're we're all people, and because of because of the European influence, because of the in like internal conflict of like, am I one thing? Am I another thing? Am I mm-hmm. white or am I black? Um, and does that make me better if I have like whiteness A in little me? Bit more. Yeah, yeah, does that make me better than someone who is who doesn't have that? Or on the other side, less black, mm-hmm. less able to connect with your your roots mm-hmm. or mm-hmm, or your culture, and so it goes back and forth, and it's a really um, like the identity crisis within like the black community, I feel like, and you know I'm not speaking for the entire black community, sure, no, this but is your experience. yeah, but for me personally, it is something that is kind of it's so complex, and to see that in a show, that was also something that I didn't realize that I had um, uh, connected to so much until later on, mm-hmm. like not even until maybe even after doing the show in college, because we we had to talk about it a lot. And to, again, just talk about, like, colorism and how, how we're depicting that. And then also who should be cast as the peasant and who should be cast on the on the bosom side. Like, some people will look at me and think that I'm, quote-unquote, light-skinned. Mm. And then others will be like, nah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. And so it just depends on who I'm around or, like, what the, what the spectrum is. And so in the context of the show, I don't think I was a bosom. But, like, when I'm around white people in musical theater I feel black Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like you know what I mean I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm looked at as a black person and Mm -hmm. when I'm around 
black people, not so much now, but definitely when I was like kind of just sort of finding myself in high school and in college, like seeing where I fit in. When I was around black people in the industry, I would kind of feel other. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't feel by any means white, but I would feel like something but just other, which is kind of scarier because you're like, what am I then? Where what am, am I, I viewed? As? Yeah, <laughs> what am I viewed as? But then I just kind of was like, I am me, and mm-hmm. I identify with being a black woman. That is just that is who I am, and I'm you know I'm different. <laughs> I, you know I'm nerdy, and I you know sing differently than people expect me to, and sometimes speak differently than people expect me to. Sometimes I speak the way people expect me to. It just it just really depends on you know the circumstances and how I'm feeling and it's never anything put on and it's not something I'm conscious of. It's just like the various levels of me being who I am. And this show is about bridging that gap. I feel like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And how we, how do we do it? How, How do we do it? And they don't accomplish it in the show, which I think is also something important that it's, it's something that society is going to be figuring out for a very long time. And I like that the show doesn't put a, a, a nice little on bow it. on it. But somewhere down the road, someone's going to hear her story and be better for it and g- is going to make the right decision. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It's just like so much. It is. It's so much. <laughs> it is. It's so much. But somebody's got to be first. Mm-hmm. So Daniel is a Bosom. Mm-hmm. He's from that side of the island. Hence why the villagers aren't real happy about Timun you know, taking care of this bosom. It's like, no, they will probably kill you because you're, they're, they're probably looking for him. You've got him in your house. Are you kidding me? This is just a crazy idea. Mm. Kind of leading the charge on that is is her mom. What's mom's name again? Mama Yurley. Mama Yurley. And, and she's constantly trying to talk her out of, you know, in this, in prey, constantly trying to talk her out of doing what she's doing. And Timun is doubling down hard, and she keeps asking for herbs, and she keeps asking for uh-huh. herbs, more herbs. And, and telling uh, her mama to shush, and which, is, saying, which is bold. <laughs> Mommy, got to be quiet. Give yeah. me some cilantro and keep quiet. <laughs> cilantro, so, <laughs> But I love how prey gives way to this kind of tribal. Yes. Uh, it's so visceral. It's so – it's just very in the moment. You know, when when – you are overcome with with the spirit essentially mm-hmm. you know they are they are trying to call upon this higher power and you know in this really crazy situation that none of them have faced before because exactly. Timun was brave enough to do something so different mm-hmm. to shake things up yeah. and so there's fear and there's desperation mm-hmm. and i remember doing this number and <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I feel like we all kind of looked forward to it every night um, when we did it in college. And even just, like, rehearsing it, it was just, like, like listening to it is one thing. Because I remember listening to it on the soundtrack and just being moved. And then getting to, like, actually physicalize Embody it. Embody it, yeah. Wow. Wow. It's it's cathartic. You know, you just you release so much. And seeing it live, too. I love the way they did it in the revival. and Yeah, I, th- I think that that is one of the things that I have taken away most from black culture is the ability to connect spiritual and physical in in our bodies. Mm. Growing up in, in my church, 
if you were reverent, if you felt the spirit, then you were very still and quiet. Mm. And that's not to say that that's wrong, because I think that there's absolutely a time and place for that. But there, there is also something to be said for spiritually working something out mm-hmm. that requires a lot of wrestling and turmoil and then physicalizing that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why people do kickboxing. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to physicalize something, it, it, you, you do, get, do get to, like, express that energy in a way that, you know, stillness just kind of doesn't do. I also wasn't raised with that. And so mm-hmm. for me, I, w- <laughs> I was raised Catholic. And so that's oh. very, it's very reserved and organized. Um, quiet, organized. But somehow still being able to connect to it, like, whenever I see that and when I— do listen to gospel music. I, I, I just feel it inwardly. But that comes from, you know, my love of music in general, right. I think. Right. You know what I mean? Because even you were saying you didn't grow up with that, but mm-hmm. you see it and you can kind of you, feel, you feel how— it. Yeah. It's, how, un, it's undeniable mm-hmm. to see it within the context of a story. And you're like, oh, I get it. I get it. it. Yep. It's, not, it's not my experience, but I get it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in the process of everyone trying to figure out what to do— Timun's dad goes to the other side of the island, which is quite a jaunt. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, bangs on the the big old mansion. The gates. Yeah, the gates of the Bozon Manor. And says, hey, we have your son. And they won't listen to him um, until they finally do realize that he knows where Daniel, is. Daniel is. Meanwhile... Timun has fallen in love with Daniel by showing that love and and nurturing. Even when she first discovered him there, there he something. opened his eyes and she saw that, you know, eyes from another world, that kind of thing. She, she There was fascination. And then, yeah, taking him into her care, that sort of attachment, a feeling that she'd never felt before. And it's safe to say that Daniel is feeling things as well. Yes, I have thoughts about Daniel. Me too. And <laughs> Me too. Because, I mean, spoiler alert, he has no intention of marrying Timun. No. And I think what always um, got me about Daniel was that there was something condescending mm-hmm. and, and patronizing, you know, and, and that's his truth. That's the bubble he's lived in. Mm-hmm. But then he sees one who's so pretty and she's so sweet. And yes, she did save his life. And so he's intrigued now. I don't doubt that he has a fondness for her and that in many ways his heart has been softened. But but it goes, it doesn't go farther, it doesn't than, go that. further than that. And even like a fondness, you know what I mean? Just the idea of, oh yeah, I'm fond of that person mm-hmm. when the other person is like madly in love and would give her life for him. The idea of that just Oh, it always it always kind of irked me. Even when he sings his song about her, which is a beautiful song. Beautiful song. But when song. you look at those lyrics, I, I mean, Lynn Aaron's did a beautiful job it, because it sounds so romantic. Yes. And then when you look at the words, you're like, wait a second, that's kind of messed up. Kinda. And that's the thing too, because I, I was oh, I was sucked right in. I was like, oh, this is pretty, and he's pretty, and he's singing a pretty song about mm-hmm. how pretty she is and how great <laughs> she is. And, you know what I mean? I was just I uh, I was dragged right along. And then yeah, looking at the lyrics, you're just like. Some some girls you love, some you teach. Mm-hmm. Some girls you marry, some you keep. Isn't that isn't mm-hmm. that also a lyric? Like what? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> okay. That being said, even though these feelings are starting and and obviously continue throughout the show, he's not doing well physically, and it looks like he right. might pass away. Mm-hmm. Cue Papa Gay to enter and say, "All right, you know this is this is the god of death. It's time for me to take this boy," and she says, "Take me instead." Mm-hmm. 
which blows Papa Gay's mind <laughs> in some way, mm-hmm. you know. And he says, okay, fine. We'll do a little trade. I agree. I like the fact that it's it's it comes to, to Papa Gay as, as a great shock mm-hmm. that someone would be willing to do that. But that's to also choose. Erzuli's point. Is yeah, that, is that give her the chance. Mm-hmm. She will show you that love is more powerful than anything. And Papa Gay's like, yes, she will, but will he? Mm. And that's that's the thing. Just because you know she has all this love, you know, growing inside of her, and and that's fueling her choices in her life. That doesn't mean that the person that she has chosen to give all of this love to will be able to reciprocate. And so that that's the kicker, and that's a life lesson. Yeah. That's another yeah. life lesson, and that's Takes that one. Two people to make choices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, just since we're on this number, the way they they staged this in the revival was unreal. Tell me about it. It's so great. The first time I watched it, I mean, it's such an intimate space already. Right. So you think there's only so much that they can do as far as you know stage magic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But there's a great moment where you know Daniel is laying on this boat. And and then at some point, <laughs> at some point, Daniel is removed. Like there's a she put Timon puts a blanket over him, and at some point, she goes back to Daniel after prey, and then Papa Gay <gasps> was under the blanket. Under the blanket, and you're like, when did this happen? But you know, there's so much going on right um, before that before that number, um, and so. <laughs> That's like so, my I, mind, love, I love that theater magic, man. Mm, crazy. Nothing and like I, it. I was sitting pretty close. We had good seats. I mean, no seat in that house is a bad was seat. a bad seat, to be honest, which was a great surprise. But still, just a couple rows back, and I, I, I literally, I was with my mom and my best friend, and I, looked, I was like, how did that happen? <laughs> Where? Because you just really feel like there's, I was like, there can't be a trap door because the boat gets lifted and moved and there's sand underneath, so there's no way. It's like, was how did it how did it happen? And I was like, I'm going to just have to let it go. But then I saw it a second time. Okay. And so a couple months later, I saw it again, and I, I knew, I was like, okay, it's coming up. And so I didn't take my eyes off Daniel, and it happened. It was like this really smooth, you know, the, the focus is on the opposite end of the mm-hmm. stage, um, and people, you know, there's stuff happening, and there's lights flashing and things like that. And they just switch. It was so quick. And I don't even know where he, how did he disappear? I really don't know where he went. But I cannot deal. Yes. Because even seeing it happen, it was still impressive. It was still impressive. See, and that that's true magic. Yeah. Miracles aren't just impressive because you can't explain them. Right. You, even when you see the explanation and you still love it, mm-hmm. that's a miracle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Truly. I was in there like, wow, mind blown. That's so cool. Yeah. So deal is made. Yes. And Timun's dad brings back the people, right, mm. to take Daniel back home. Timun feels like she needs to go after them. Mm-hmm. This is uh, that, heartbreaking. That her work is not done yet. Mm-hmm. And her parents sing this beautiful song called Timun that is so that's basically every parent's uh-huh. journey of letting go of their children. It's a beautiful song. And they give their blessing as hard as it is. They give their blessing to her to to go. Mm-hmm. So she starts walking across and feeling all alone. But the goddess of Earth, Asaka, has your back. And What a great number. Isn't this such a great song? Uh, now, this one is another one. Showstopper. I mean, you can't help but showstopper. I mean, Alex Newell got a standing ovation mid-show. Yes. <sighs> That's awesome. Yes. I remember th- the first time I, I do saw love, it. I do love that the revival played with some gender-bending things because Asako uh, so uh, has always been a woman. Mm-hmm. And then you get Alex Newell who can sing anything. Through the rafters. I mean, just like. In, in the original key. So, <laughs> But having like, so much fun, making so many new vocal choices and. Literally stopped the show. Yeah. I mean, totally. And it was it was just 
And also my mom is a pretty reserved um, audience member for the most part. So mm-hmm. whenever she does like dance or like jump to her feet or like hoot and holler or whatever, I know the show was good. Yes. You know what I mean? And this was one of those ones because I never know what to take her to when we go to New York together, uh-huh. you know. And so the second time we went, she was like, oh, I can't wait to see it again. And we were just jamming. It was so good because it, it's just, oh, it's one of those songs. I got to do a shout out also to Lilius White. Oh, my goodness. Because for those who may not know who this Kwan is, Lilius White <laughs> is one of the muses from Hercules. Yes, she She's is like indeed. the lead muse. And she she took over in Once on this Island pretty early on in the Broadway run. Oh, okay. And her mama will provide. Was is, it everything? Is thrilling. Oh, man. I think, is it her on the Tony Awards? I'm not sure. You got to look it up. I, I have to. I have to. I actually met the, the woman who originated it, who's on the soundtrack. Is it Keisha, Keisha Lewis Evans? Keisha Lewis Evans, Miss Keisha Lewis Evans. It was a pleasure meeting her. <laughs> yeah, we totally fangirled. I remember we were in the watching the show. I wish I could remember which show it was. But in um, my friend and I, we were like, why does her voice sound familiar? And then we looked at, because we were in the nosebleeds. We, mm-hmm. we, we couldn't really see. So we were like, why does her voice sound familiar? And we were flipping through. And we were like, oh, my God. <laughs> We've been Osaka. listening to her for months. Yeah. <laughs> After Mama Will Provide is uh, Some Say, mm-hmm. which is a really sweet way of saying... We don't exactly know how she got there, how she got to the other side of the island, but she did. And maybe it could be this way and maybe it could be this. Like the the game of telephone that folklore and oral storytelling becomes, you Mm -hmm. know, it's like, oh, I heard that it was this. And it's it's part of our storytelling tradition, I think, as humans. From there, she makes her way and they don't let her in, Mm. but she agrees to be a servant. And so that gets her in the gate, right? Mm -hmm. So now she's a servant for the Bosoms, for the very fancy family. And she sees Daniel, and Daniel's like, Timon, what are you doing here? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You look so great. I love your skin. And and they connect. They have, like, a moment of connection, right? Mm -hmm. Now, how did they— Now, this moment of connection. Yeah. I I was going to ask you, what was it in the revival? There was nothing, like, too literal. Yeah. Um, but it was like it's strongly alluded to. You know, they okay. were in bed together and they spent the night together okay. um, in that bed. And she, you know, was dressing his wounds and taking care of him and stuff. And you know, he found her beautiful. And then Urzuli's song, hum, uh, "Human Heart." Right. So the goddess of love mm-hmm. sings this beautiful song. And I also think too, just Daniel being who he is and mm-hmm. coming from the world that he comes from, and you know, seeing a beautiful woman. You know, I'm inclined to think that he, and not to say that he didn't care for her on some, you know, basic mm-hmm. level. He had his fondness, you know. But I say that with <laughs> the biggest eyes eye roll, rolling in the back I mean? of your head, <laughs> because because that's just, ugh, you know. But to him, it was something; it was new, and so maybe they did experience that together. Mm-hmm. And I, and then also, I mean, T Moon's affection grows significantly after that, and she is there's an attachment. Yeah, so. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. I think they share a kiss. And it would it would be nice to have in the staging for her to have one moment of that before she dies. <laughs> yeah, thinking that, <laughs> thinking that like this is like this there's is as good there's as some gets. sort of yeah. culmination uh-huh. of all of the love that she's been giving. Uh, let's skip now to the ball. So there's this big party that's mm-hmm. being thrown. Enter Andrea, 
Um, now she is she's definitely a condescending one. She's yeah. never like you need to get this girl out of here or oh Timon you look some type of way blah blah blah. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? She's never just like um, overtly nasty. Right. But that's why she's that's why it's worse. You know yeah. I mean? Because yeah. she it's underneath all of this like smiles and she's delicate and she's dainty and she's and very polite. Very very polite, poised, polished. Mm-hmm. And in those ways opposite of Timon and mm-hmm. and there's like a, a rigidity about her. Um, whereas, like, Timun is just loose and fluid, and she would be someone, like, of the earth, someone who is just, like, grounded and real. Yeah. The feeling that I get is that she's more upset with Daniel, Andrea, excuse me, mm-hmm. is more upset with Daniel than Timun. She's like, there are things that haven't been explained, mm-hmm. so I'm going to. Uh-huh. You know? Uh-huh. And boo on him for leading you on like that. Mm-hmm. But we've been engaged since... Well, she makes Daniel say, but mm-hmm. we've been betrothed since we were young. Mm-hmm. This was always going to happen. And it's not going to change. Mm-hmm. So, But before that, he invites Timun to dance. This was done so beautifully. So in the, in the revival, you know, there's the sand covering the entire stage now. But for the Bozom Manor, what they did is they removed a big chunk of the sand in the center. And then they could, like, lift it up oh, and then reveal fun. a sort of, like, dance floor. Wow. And... Yeah, it it was a really cool um, transition, and the other servants in this Bozon Manor are played by the same actors who played Tonton Julian and Mama Yurli. So we know that these are people from the village. Mm-hmm. And when Timun starts dancing, you see the other servants sort of light up because mm. they're like, Oh, we know what that is. And is, I remember we us. used to dance like that. And I remember when we used to be like free in the village and we got to, you know, we got to express ourselves in that way. So Timun starts dancing and everyone's captivated. The Bozoms and the servants alike are all captivated. And then the servants join her in her dance. <sighs> and it's it filled my heart with so much joy. Even just thinking of it now, it, it was really it was really special. Because um, so they, I mean, they were breaking it down. <laughs> they were breaking it down because it was it was spiritual and it was like and it was tribal, but it was also just fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you could just tell like their spirits were lifted by being able to express themselves in that in that way. That was so like a part of their culture, but that was stripped from them when they had to work in this in this new place. What's so heartbreaking is that she's so vulnerable. And shows so much of herself, not only through her love and deeds in in helping Daniel return to health, but by this dance mm. in front of everybody who very well could have judged her for, and probably at the beginning were judging her. D- especially when she was first invited yeah. to dance, they were probably like, who is this? Yeah. And um, she was having a hard time walking in the shoes, like in the heels. Oh, right. And so That's she, such a cute moment. Mm-hmm, it is. And then when she takes them off and then she just expresses herself, she just dances. So to go from that, from that kind of allowing yourself to be seen to then the the crushing news of knowing that he's been betrothed all this time mm-hmm. is crushing. I mean, I And for it. Andrea to tell her, you dance so well. Mm-hmm. Dance at mine My, and Daniel's ugh. wedding. Yeah, that one hurts. That that one really hurts because she's on this high. Timon is on this high and, you know, she feels so proud that she's shown that the peasants can be beautiful and elegant and can, you know, be something to be appreciated. Enter Papa Gay again. Now, what blanket was he hiding under? <laughs> Just kidding. No, so Papa Gay comes in and basically says, all right, well, it didn't work. He doesn't love you, so it's time to die. Mm-hmm. And she says, please don't. I don't want to die. And he go, and he says, great. Well, here's a little proposition for you. He or she. 
because in the revival it was played by a woman. Mm-hmm. So well, too. Papa Gay says, all right, you can live, but you got to kill him. I mean, he was going to die anyway, mm-hmm. and now he's betrayed you in the most you know horrible fashion. So give me his life. Mm. Go ahead and kill him, and we'll call it even. It's an interesting proposition for her, especially in this time when the hurt is so raw. Right, right. She has a real wrestling of her soul and spirit, but ultimately decides she can't, that she will not. She, she's not that kind of she's person. She's not that type of person. She's Team Moon. She's Team Moon. <laughs> Which, once again, is a huge surprise to Papa Gay. Mm. Ersuli knew it all the time, of course. Mm-hmm. So then he, he backs off, and she gets kicked out of the house and refuses to go back to the village. Instead, she's going to stay at the gate because at least when they marry, when Daniel and Andrea marry, they, they have a tradition of coming to the gate and throwing coins. coins. Mm-hmm. So if she stays at the gate, then at least he'll be forced to see her. Mm. So she sits there, and they get married. They come to the gate, and what happens? He gives her a coin. And that's that's all he can give her. That's it. <laughs> uh, this and like this is a fairy tale. Are you kidding me? I mean, seriously, that's I. I mean, that is the original <laughs> ending of Little Mermaid. Too. I know, and I had to I had to come to terms with that one too, turning into sea foam and see, just. Right? <laughs> Anyway, so T-Moon's crushed. She's, she stays out there at the gate mm-hmm. and dies of a broken heart. Yep. And the gods, knowing how brave that she's been in her life, are very kind to her. Mm-hmm. The song says that Asaka holds her close to her breast. They each have their moment they with accept, her. Yeah, that they accept her. To accept her. her. And, uh-huh. and in honor of her love, they plant a tree. And the tree grows and busts open that stupid gate <laughs> at the mansion, so much so that the, the gate never closes again. And children of all backgrounds, mm-hmm. colors, mm-hmm. play in its, in its branches until one day a bosom boy sees a young peasant girl and they are able to connect mm-hmm. and, and fall in love. Mm-hmm. And... And that's and, why we tell the story. And then, <laughs> and then it sets us into this glorious finale of these moments. This progression is why we continue chills. to tell these stories. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's literally called Why We Tell the Story. Oh, mm-hmm. It's a good ending. It it's is. a sad ending with an amazing song that makes you feel okay about that sad yeah. ending. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. The song is so vibrant and uplifting and, and does feel like a celebration. And that's that's how a lot of cultures will, will view death, too. It's like, you mm-hmm. know, the, instead of mourning the life lost, they celebrate the life that that yeah. person had. The story lives on. The tree mm-hmm. lives on. And the echoes, the ripples. Mm-hmm can't be taken back. Right. It's already set into motion. It's already on its way. Mm-hmm. And the story ends with the little girl who is crying from the storm. She starts telling the story. She starts telling the story all over again. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that, that whole full circle is just, Inspired. yeah, special. It's special. You're absolutely right. I think it's one of the reasons why I respect Aaron's and Flaherty so much mm is because they are such courageous storytellers. And yes. they never apologize for writing a musical. Mm-hmm. They're never doing, hey, look at us. We're, we're doing this silly art form. It's earnest and, mm-hmm. and profound and entertaining. Yes. 
And I love it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for their additions to musical theater. Mm-hmm. Likewise. And this one will continue to live on. I, I think agree. that. Uh, I the, wish it had re- a longer life on Broadway. It, oh, okay. So let's talk about that, shall we? I guess the revival, too. It, it closed pretty early, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> and it was so good. And now the tour is happening, but they can't do it in the round because there's just limitations with of tours course, like that. Uh, and I saw a picture of what they're doing and um, of how they've adapted for mm-hmm. the tour. And it looks it looks. I'm sure good, it'll be great. But there was just something about that experience that really set it apart from any other Broadway experience I think anyone will ever have. Wow. You just felt so a part of the world. Experiences like that are unparalleled, I think. And that you can't really have in film. I love mm-hmm. I love film, but there will always be a place for theater if we keep embracing the theatricality and mm-hmm. create an experience that you can only have right. in it. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I'm jealous you got to experience it twice. <laughs> Man. So cool. Okay, so the original production ran from 1990 to 91, and it was nominated for a bunch of Tony Awards, including Best Musical. Mm-hmm. Here were the other nominees that year. Miss Saigon. Oh, shoot. Big Show. Dang. The Secret Garden. Okay. Another big, gorgeous show. Mm-hmm. And the Will Rogers Follies. Uh-huh. Another huge show. Yeah. And Will Rogers Follies was the one that won, surprisingly uh-huh. enough. I, I mean, great show, but of Miss Saigon, Once on this Island, Secret Garden, Will Rogers Follies, I think Will Rogers Follies is probably the, the least known of those four. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, definitely. Tommy Toon wins for director, uh, mm-hmm. even though Graciela Danielle was nominated Secret Garden wins for Best Book, which actually I love that story. I think Secret Garden is one of those stories like Peter Pan that's pretty perfect. Timeless. Yeah. And then score goes to Cy Coleman for Will Rogers Follies. Once on this Island was just a a lovely little show that really had a hard time, I think, not getting swallowed up by all of these these big ones. Uh, LaShawns was nominated for Best Featured Actress which is interesting. Oh, who did they consider to be the lead of that show? I don't think they had any leads. I oh, think everyone was ensemble considered show. ensemble. Uh-huh, okay. But Daisy Egan became the youngest actress to win a Tony Award for playing Mary in mm-hmm. Secret Garden mm-hmm. that year. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't have it wasn't going up against much for best revival, was it? It won best revival. I I, I know it won, but who was there mm. like stiff competition I'm saying. Yeah. I oh, I see what you're saying. Revival of a Musical of that year was Once on this Island, Carousel, My Fair Lady. Oh, I saw My Fair Lady. So th- those were three really solid choices, but I'm really glad they went with Once on this Island. Specifically I think that one was because the most it, innovative. That was the most sure. – they, they really did something new special. and special with that revival that – I mean, people – you can't get another experience like that right. one. Right. Well, you like you mean? said, even if you take it on tour, it will yeah, never be the same it, it as it will, was. Yeah, it really will never. And it, it'll – the story is always beautiful and, you know, they'll get – wonderful performers, but the experience itself will never be that. And so that's why that was so special, and I'm glad that they got recognized for that. Because My Fair Lady was very well done as well, and it looked stunning. Well, and no offense, but Carousel and My Fair Lady will be fine. That's the thing, too. That's the thing, too. Those those have had lives, and those will continue to have lives. Let's give give some love to our islanders. And those are considered classics. Those are considered, like, traditional musical theater classics. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I saw a production of Once on this Island. The first time I actually saw it on stage was here in L.A. at Reprise. Oh, cool. And I want to say like Billy Porter directed it. Mm, that's amazing. And Ladisi, do you know who Ladisi is? Mm-mm. She's like a, a neo-soul. Oh, Ledisi. 
Oh, is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, how embarrassing. Lettucey. No, that's totally fine. Lettucey, I do. I'm very familiar with her work. Like that voice, right? Yes. She played Asaka. Oh, that was probably stunning. And they, and they like made it kind of Afro-Caribbean. That was probably stunning. Yeah, it I was a really... totally see her. It was oh really enjoyable. It was an enjoyable evening at the theater. I bet. All right. Um, Once on this Island rocks. Yes, it does. There are three different cast albums that you can listen to on Spotify. There's listen like to them all. <laughs> the original Broadway, the London, and the revival. All of them have amazing things. Hmm. So thank you, Lynn Aarons and Stephen Flaherty. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody who shares their stories. Because mm-hmm. that's how it happens, and that's why we do this. Yes. I have to remind myself sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's why we do this, is yeah. because these stories... And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast is because I believe there is something profound about these stories that when we look in them, make us a little bit better mm-hmm. and might show the gods that we're ready for something new. And we as performers, as actors, we and just artists in general, we are storytellers. We, we tell our own stories and we try to connect to other people's stories through our art. So many layers, so much, you know, complex emotion within the music with, and within the book. Um, it's it's special to be a part of and it's special to to sit back and actually get to talk about those things mm-hmm. and to appreciate them in this way. So thank you so much for letting me be here and be a part of this discussion. Bryce, thank you. How can we follow what you're up to? Um, yeah, so I'm on Instagram, <laughs> um, Bryce underscore Charles. I <laughs> I try to keep up with the social media game, but it's it's a tricky it's a tricky game. If nothing else, go on her Instagram and see how Drop dead gorgeous! You looked at the Ovation Awards. Thank you so much. I Talk about it. showstopper! It's <laughs> You're like too kind. you give Alex Newell a standing ovation. We also give you a standing ovation Stop for that it. ensemble. Stop it! Thank you, you so great. thank you so much. I appreciate it. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know what, you guys? Remember that you can always request a specific show for us to cover here on a musical theater podcast by emailing me at a musical podcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at a musical podcast for more great content. Don't forget to show me those pictures of your pets with names from <laughs> musical theater. Yes. And tell your story. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.